Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. I'm sitting at the Mines and Money Conference and sitting opposite me is the CEO of Sharps Pixley, Ross Norman. Hello, Ross. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Not bad at all. Now, I'm very privileged to have Ross on the show because if you follow your LBMA annual gold forecasting competition, Ross has consistently been the winner of that competition, except I think last year. Is that right? Pretty well. Yeah. Um, this year we're not far off. Gold average is 12.40, we win again. It's not going to do that, but we keep having us lost. Okay, well, so uh, until two years ago, the world's best um, gold <laughs> forecaster. So I suppose on that note, we should start off by doing a bit of forecasting. What, 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 what's going on at the moment and what do you see happening next? You know, we, we, we always thought that you know, this year was going to be a Goldilocks year. That's to say, not too hot and not too cold. Essentially what we've seen and consistently is momentum fade, both the upside and downside. And gold looks like it's going to end the year in dollar terms, unchanged, up by the way in sterling terms. But it's been a market which has been tracking sideways. And if you like, it's rather reminiscent of the late 1990s, where we saw precisely the same pattern, falling prices and falling volatility. In other words, gold was price elastic. Reverting to the mean. Is there really falling volatility at the moment? Well, it has just in the last few days, I grant you. Yes. It has risen. But it, this year, generally speaking, it, 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 the, the, the uh, average price down deviation has fallen. Um, so, so this is perhaps not unnatural. What worries me, though, most of all, is that what drove the prices higher in the 2000s was a series of initiatives which were um, man-made constructs, if you like, such as the removal of VAT off uh, investment gold, the creation of the Shanghai Gold Exchange, the reproduction, the, the invention, if you like, of the ETF. And all of these things conspired to make gold price elastic, inelastic, sorry, which is to say you got buying on price strength. It made it easier for people to buy? It, well, it, you got buying on price strength. In other words, it drove its own momentum. Yeah. So from 2000 up until the economic crisis, it was tracking nicely higher. And of course, the economic crisis took it to a new level. My concern is that we've had innovation fatigue in terms of coming up with new jurisdictions, new products for promoting gold. So, I mean, this ties up with something I've been thinking about and we've actually discussed, is the idea that gold needs a new story. It needs a new narrative to, to, to get people interested in. Not only is it a new story, it needs new... In, are you suggesting new investment vehicles? And Well, and it needs everything, really. It needs an advocate. Take, for example, diamonds. I mean, it saw price strength um, simply because of significant marketing spend. It became an object of desire. Platinum did it by spending at universities to create new applications for platinum, platinum group metals. And again, all these metals moved well So are away. you suggesting, for example, that gold should find more industrial uses? Well, both industrial and also, probably more importantly, investment applications. I'll give you an example. We live, we're sitting right now here in the city of London, and you find me within five miles of here a kilo bar of gold. You won't find it. 
this is the global capital for trading physical. This is the biggest vaulting center, yet gold remains invisible. Now, there's a challenge. Why is that the case? Why do we not make investment gold at Indian prices, which is to say competitive prices, more universally available? Okay, I'll give you an answer to that, because people aren't interested. <laughs> you know, 100 years ago, 1914, gold sovereign was legal tender. We People handed, handled gold on a daily basis every day. They do handle gold in the East, but gold no longer plays any kind of daily role in our lives in the West. I grant uh, you, I grant you that there are other safe havens one can go to. You know, if you do believe in economic crisis, I tend to liken it more to the frog in the, in the boiling pot with sitting still. I would also accept that the issue here is not a lack of interest, it's actually a lack of education. We have never sold an ounce of gold to a British person without them first of all apologising to us for their not really understanding. They know they want to buy it, they're not quite sure how, what, they, what it wants to be, what denomination, why it's in dollars, what the selling price, where do I store it? Germans, Indians, Americans know all of this. In Britain, we don't. So actually, fundamentally, the big issue is to do with education. And we haven't done that very well. And it comes back to the advocate for gold, yeah. explaining the relevance, because it does have a very important role to play. Yeah. I mean, my, <coughs> excuse me, my fear is that um, gold will become as irrelevant in the East as the, as the East becomes more westernised as it has become, as it is in the, as it now is in the West. The, the evidence isn't there to support that. I mean, once you go from working in the paddy field to a level of wealth, you can only eat three meals a day. Okay, your, your, your consumption of raw materials, because mm -hmm. you start to eat meat as opposed to fish, goes higher. But the point is, you then have large disposable incomes. Is gold going to lose out to mic to iPads and, and other things? Well, again, the evidence isn't there to support it. We're seeing at the moment massive buying in India and China at the expense of the West. And they, I of course, have industrial... I'm, I'm yeah. going to take issue with that. I think okay. a kid would rather buy... I, I don't know because I'm not an Indian kid, but I think a, an Indian kid would rather own an iPad than own a, an ounce of gold. Yeah, I'm not sure the kid's your buyer. It's probably your Indian farmer who already buys or your Indian high net worth. You're, you know, they're creating... How, I forget the precise figure. How many billion, billion, billionaires they're producing yeah. in the East? Well, they need to hold it in something, and they don't tend to like the rupee. They don't tend to like the ruble either. Yeah. So, so they understand portable wealth. They understand the role of gold. It's a part of their DNA. And the mere fact that the Indians and Chinese and Russians are all buying the physical and they're getting wealthier suggests to me that the gold story ain't going away in that part of the world. Well, the fact that they're getting wealthier certainly means they have more capital to buy gold. That's certainly true. Here's, a, here's another... Let's mm. come back to this thing about the gold needing a new story. Mm. Um, I think... It's really important to handle gold. Mm. You know, when you do, as soon if somebody brings out like a, a two ounce mm. piece of gold, mm. uh, like a nugget or something, mm. and just puts it on the table, it immediately captivates the attention of everyone on the table. Yeah. Everyone wants to hold it, everyone wants to touch it. And there is a kind of, wow, this is gold kind of moment. You know, I've never actually felt real yeah. gold before. Yeah. And, you know, if we're to get the story out there, the, all these wonderful investment vehicles that have emerged, whether it's gold money or ETFs or whatever it is, you very rarely actually come into contact with your gold. A lot of people buy sovereigns, but their mm. sovereigns are actually one of the ugliest ways of owning physical yeah. gold. They're not a particularly nice gold coin, and, yeah. you know, it's much nicer to hold a, you know, a panda or something, <laughs> um, or an Austrian philharmonic, my personal favourite. But so we need to find a way of getting people to actually in touch with physical metal. Again. And I think you see that, you know, think of an iPhone, that's roughly a kilo of gold. That's roughly £25,000, that's what it would cost you, of 99.99% purity. And some of our clients do invest that sort of number, and often more. And, um, you know, they, they have done it on, on, through an online shop or called up. 
But it's quite amazing, actually, when they do come to take delivery and you place this iPhone-sized piece of gold into their hand. The density and the luster of it is, is quite remarkable. And it, I make it sound quite romantic, and it yeah. kind of is, actually, and it's kind of a seminal moment to hold the physical and then place it in its safe box. And, and I think people, if you give this incredibly yes. valuable thing to a woman, it carries mm. a real... You know, there is a, you know, no wonder women fall in love with you. You know, it is, it is a way of seeing. Why do you think I'm in gold? Well, <laughs> but you know what I mean. That is, it, it carries some kind of significance if you, if you, you know, the, the, the transfer of gold between a couple. Yes, exactly. I mean, the number of, what's clear is for many people, there's so many different motivations for owning it, and there's no question that the current motivation that we hear more and more often is lack of trust in official institutions, um, deep concerns about the economy. And in that environment, it's got to be the physical. Uh, and, and, you know, and it doesn't, doesn't fail to surprise and please when you actually take that actual delivery. OK. Mm. Let's, let's talk about the paper markets. Now, mm. I'm with you. We need paper markets. And, um, you know, they, they serve a very real function. You know, you need... Miners need to hedge. Speculators Absolutely. need to buy futures and, and so on. But the fact is that the paper markets and the, the physical markets are often two completely different stories. Yeah. And, and what, what can be done to, to make the paper markets work better in favour of physical owners? That's, that's well, it does, but it doesn't necessarily work in favour of higher prices. It's a two-edged sword. You need to have a paper market. The paper market is basically forwards and futures and some non-deliverables, if you like. But if you happen to be a miner looking to dig a hole in the ground, you need to finance it. Actually, you borrow gold. You borrow gold. Okay, why do you borrow gold? You borrow it and sell it. Get the cash and dig the hole in the ground. Why do you borrow the gold in the first place? Well, because your bankers probably want you to be partially hedged. In other words, if your hole in the ground falls, what do you owe me falls? There's a natural inbuilt hedge in there. So for miners um, looking to dig holes in the ground, they need to have that paper mark in parallel to achieve the physical. You might also say that speculators, who also go long as well as short, and currently they are short, um, play a valuable role in providing liquidity to allow those miners to hedge. So I think we're rushing to decry the, the paper market as being one of the uh, malevolent force in the current price environment. And it's certainly fair to say that the futures on the futures exchange on COMEX, there's a very large short position there which has taken us to these levels. But it does provide a very valuable level, uh, provide a very valuable service as well. Um, so, so I think we need to be careful about sort of decrying the the paper market over the physical, it's where it gets out of sync, where it's too powerful. That you yeah, want when it. you have the situation where the paper market is, is way bigger than the amount of physical gold produced in a Correct. year, for and, and you're hearing today, for example, a number of people saying, you know, is there the amount of physical that people think, you know, is, is it uh, readily available? In support of that argument, gold is trading in backwardation, suggesting a lack of immediate delivery gold. So the, the answer is, yeah, there can be temporary moments of... of of lack of physical, but normally it's made good from the either central banks lending back if 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 backvision gets out of whack, or the refiners releasing more metal. So, so I think there can be some some misunderstandings about the backwardation and the physical supply. How long have you worked as a as a bullion dealer? For? Far too long, thirty years. Thirty years. So you started what eighties, late eighties? Yeah, yeah, for Johnson Matthew, the gold refiners. So as a refining man, traded it for Rothschilds and Credit Suisse, and then fifteen years ago, founded my own company. Okay, so a lot of people are comparing this period that we're in to the late 90s. Yes. 
What if, what, what, how does it compare to the 80s? Because remember, the 80s, we had the huge run-up to 850, and then there was this, this kind of sideways period Correct. in the 80s where people, a lot of people believed that run-up would resume. And they Correct. didn't, you know, miners weren't hedging yet. And I suggest that we might be in a similar kind of period now. Well, yeah, I, I drew the analogy just earlier in this, this, this interview with the 90s. I did it for a reason, because the 90s came just before 2000 when we saw those initiatives. It was to draw people's mind to what changed the market from okay. being horribly price elastic to inelastic. And that was essentially getting off your backside and creating ideas, thinking about it. The gold price isn't what happens to you. It's, you shouldn't think in those terms. It's what you damn well make it okay. as an institution, as an organization, as a market. You can make a firmer price. You can make a more buoyant, volatile market. But you need to commit capital. You need to commit ideas and resources. And at the moment, there's a sense that we're sitting back and we're victims to whatever the market will dictate what we yeah. should be. Yeah, and particularly amongst you know some hardcore gold bugs who are you know claiming manipulation and everything else. And... Yeah. and you know, I understand why some of those people think the way they do, yeah. but the message they're sending out, you know, the financial system's going to collapse, there's too much debt and all the, all the political stuff, is too negative. And it is we negative. need a positive, you know, yeah, investments do. need a positive story and gold should be a positive thing. So how do we do it? Who, which, which institutions have the responsibility to, to get stories out there and, and, and take the initiative and be creative? Well, fundamentally, it is, of course, the miners, and they do do some of that marketing through the World Gold Council. They put a, roughly a dollar uh, an ounce of production into the World Gold Council, and, of course, they're also funded through the ETF. Um, but, but why did... I mean, the World Gold Council wasn't responsible for the big boom in gold that happened in the... In well, it the, was in, in the part. It was okay, in part. It bankrolled the ETF. But as a, as a private investor who came to gold in that period, I only found out about the World Gold Council much later. I, was, I found out about it through interesting newspaper articles I was reading and, and that kind of thing. They're not De Beers. You know, they don't, well, they don't do the Diamonds Are Forever equivalent. Yeah. A lot of their work is behind the scenes, and I just think it needs to be rather more pro, high-profile working and with groovier. companies. Hmm? Groovier needs to be groovier. Well, you're you're absolutely right on that. The demographic for buying gold is extremely male, mature, wealthy, and uh, you know until you can widen that demographic to other sorts. And I do think the Bitcoin is the epitaph on gold's grave. The yeah. fact that you've got young people believing in a fiat currency, well, a digital currency, apropos of nothing, and yet prepared to trade and invest in that. That should have been our party. Yeah. That should have been our win. You're absolutely right about that. Don't knock Bitcoin, but uh, you're absolutely right. It was a, it was a whole new demographic of young, groovy people uh, that, that gold never saw and mining never saw. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, that's a big mistake. Come back to your point about what the money needs to do. It needs to be visible and accessible. You know, uh, as Bitcoin is becoming more universally visible and accessible, gold needs to be so. I made the point earlier. In London, you know, it's almost impossible to find an ounce of bar or a kilo yeah. of bar that you could buy. So why would you have to hunt so hard to find this damn thing? So there's a big challenge there. For what it's worth, and forgive me for the little advert here, Dominic, yeah. Sharks Pixie is has that as our stated mission, is to make gold visible and accessible in London. Okay. And to that extent, we're setting up a showroom in, in, in the West End. Oh, good for you. Whereabouts? Well, in, uh, it's either St. James's or Mayfair. We'll know in the next two or three days. Okay. Probably St. James's. Go for Soho, mate. <laughs> Go for Soho. You old tart. <laughs> so listen, um, uh, we'll, we're going to finish off now, yeah. Ross. Let me just ask you a couple of questions um, very quickly. Now, I subscribe to your daily email mm. digest. How, do we, how does one go about doing that? Because Simply it's a very kind of sensible yeah. digest yeah. of all the interesting gold stories of the day before. Yeah, we tend not to anchor ourselves to one argument. You know, we try to give you all the arguments and... 
Otherwise, you end up with, with confirmation bias. You tend to choose stories you want. And so we show the good news and the bad stories, lots of research from banks. Go on to sharpspixie.com and you'll be able to subscribe to our, our headline news about what's interesting out there. Okay, great stuff. And what is the gold price going to do over the next 12 months and the next uh, 36 months? Well, I like the second question better because I'm an investor. If you're an investor, you go for the long term. And if you're going for the long term, you're focusing on fundamentals. Fundamentals look attractive at the moment simply because at the current price, somewhere in the region of a third of miners are losing money on a marginal cost basis. It can't be sustained. Goldfields are said to have 2.5 million ounces up at the 1700s. You know, so, so to that extent, I think the, the gold market looks positive. In the shorter term, well, your mindset's got to be more geared around what the speculators or indeed the dollar is going to do. I think we'll track sideways to, track sideways to firm over the next short few months. But I suspect that there'll be new initiatives coming through in the markets, whether it's the financial markets broadly or in gold. I'm optimistic that 2015 will see a positive, but not a double-digit necessarily, rise in gold. All right. Well, Ross, this has been a terrific interview, and thank yeah. you very much for your time, and it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Dom, it's been a great pleasure too. Thank you. Sharpspixley.com. <laughs> Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 